Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragements with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. Today, we'll be looking in Isaiah chapter 29, and we'll be putting in around uh, verse 5 or so, and we'll go all the way down to chapter 31, uh, down through uh, verse 9, which is the end of chapter 31. So here you've got Isaiah, and Isaiah is sort of lamenting that there's going to be some... uh, Again, trouble ahead. Judgment is coming for the nation of Israel. The Both the, the northern kingdom is going to have judgment and the southern kingdom, as we've been saying. Why? Because uh, the nation's heart just wasn't on God. And so uh, because of that, um, God comes to judge. He's... He's a just God. He's going to have to bring his righteousness in. There's so much wickedness, so much evil. Um, he he can't have um, that in the, in the presence for the people who are still trusting him, for the good people. And so um, his desire is not uh, to come in and just destroy for the sake of destroying. He has to preserve righteousness. And so at a, some point, he has got to come in and, and um, unfortunately allow the nation to be fractured. And so we see an active God. We see a God who's in control, a God who's sovereign. And as we said yesterday, history is not uh, proving to be man's random actions in the story of man's actions. History is really the story of God interacting throughout all men's and women's lives, either on a personal level or at the level of the nations as well. That's true history. Um, God is interacting. God is working His will to be done, not our will to be done. History is the sum total of God's will working itself out uh, with the nations. It is not just random nations doing what they want to do. Even the nations that are attacking Israel and that will attack Israel are doing God's bidding. They're doing God's work. 
they and they don't even realize it and that he's Isaiah has been telling them that although for a little while you're going to be attacking Israel and now for the first time you'll win because God is going to let you win but you're not doing it because of any power that you may have on your own account God is letting you become more powerful God is letting you um come against Israel and win some victories because God needs you to needs that to happen and he's going to use you then he's going to come back and judge you for your harshness and the fact that your hearts aren't even on him as well so no one in history is going to escape uh, God's um, sovereignty and it's all because of the hearts of the people are on God. So all of this happens at a historical level. So again, when he says, uh, chapter 29, verse 1, ah, Ariel, Ariel. Ariel, again, means the lion of God. Again, the, the lion was the family crest of the house of David. So this is sort of going back historically to the house of David, but it also means altar of God. That's where Jerusalem is, the city where David encamped. But he says... I'm going to distress Ariel. There's going to be a whole bunch of moaning and lamentation. This is verse 2. And in verse 3, I will encamp against you all around and will besiege you. With towers, I will raise siege works against you, and you will be brought low from the earth. So this is verse 3 and 4. So God's saying, I'm going to do it. Now, of course, the Assyrians are going to be there to do it. Or they're going to fail, but ultimately the Babylonians are going to do that. So he's telling them about the judgment that is coming to Jerusalem. Um, so the people hearing this, they don't know whether it's the Syrians or the Babylonians or whatever. And it's interesting as... Um, McGee points out in verse 5, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like the small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. So in other words, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to come against Jerusalem. But again, to God, even though they're coming to attack, they're just like small dust passing chaff. They're no match for God, but God's going to use them to bring harm to Jerusalem. And McGee points out that Jerusalem is a city that's been attacked, sacked, and burned throughout history. He says about 27 times throughout history, more than any other city in the world. But Jerusalem still lives. Jerusalem still survives. God says he will preserve Jerusalem, not only preserve it, but he will restore Jerusalem. Okay, so a lot of these kingdoms come in and they finally think they've sacked Jerusalem and they've somehow gotten authority or beaten, you know, the people of Israel. They they just can't stand the authority of God. But um, God says you will never destroy Jerusalem. And so um, verse six, um, in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest, and the flame of a devouring fire. <clears throat> so, and as we drop down to uh, the end of um, 
Verse 8, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So again, um, some of these nations are going to sack uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem um, but specifically uh, Assyria will not prevail. Babylonia, the Babylonians will. They will sack uh, eventually Israel. So as we take up uh, now in verse 9, um, astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like words of a book that is sealed. So here, this is a very interesting kind of a retrospective section. Isaiah is saying, look, you guys are totally blind to this. And you guys are just like you're drunk, but it's not with with wine or anything like that. You're just, you just don't get it. And your eyes are completely closed to this. And the vision of all this, verse 11, has become to you like words of a book that is sealed. I mean, they're just words to you. You don't even understand what the Lord is trying to say to you anymore. Your hearts are so hardened. When men give it to one another who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. In other words, this book, these prophecies, these, these teachings that the Lord is telling you that how much you've got to depend on Him, the Word of God that you need to depend on. If you can read, they say, well, you know, it's sealed up. Uh, maybe it's something that men can't understand, or maybe it's not relevant to me today. Uh, maybe the Bible doesn't really help me uh, in my particular uh, walk. You know, it may be good for you, but it's not good for me, blah, blah, blah. Just excuses. And then when men, um, and when, in verse 12, and when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I, I cannot read. So whether you can read or you can't read, isn't it amazing how then and even how now people say, you know, I don't really have time to read the Bible. I really don't have time to read the Word of God. How often do we say that? How often do we say, I don't have time today to even read the Word of God. <clears throat> and the Lord said, verse 13, Because these people draw near with their mouth and honor with me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. This is one of the great um, examples here that it's a heart for Christ. It's a heart for Christ. That's what God wants. God doesn't want religion. God doesn't want people just to draw near to Him with their mouths. Because if they do, it's like they're honoring themselves. 
with their great, oh, pious religious talk and words. People draw near with their mouths and their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. They're just, if they want to visit some uh, person sick in the hospital or some widow, or if they want to get together with somebody who's struggling, it's kind of nice if you do that because the other person thinks you're good. The other person might think of something more of you. Or they might vote you into something at the church. They might, oh, he's visiting so many people, he's a great Christian. And then they vote him. They vote, you know. Is that is that really what it is? God doesn't want you to do stuff just to get praise from other people. God wants you to do stuff because your heart is is with Him. Your heart needs to be on Him. Your heart needs to be... Like centered on him. That's what that's what it's all about. And the book, the scriptures, the word of God um, has to be read to appreciate it. You have to study it. God just closes people's eyes. Your eyes are you're you're at you're blind or you're you're drunk. But not with wine. You're drunk on your own daily routine. Your own. You're drunk on your own personal, uh, you know, uh, commitments and tasks lists to do. But you're not. Your eyes. Your eyes are not on on the Lord. Your mind is not alert, and you stagger. Your walk. Your walk is not a. A good walk. You stagger. <clears throat> You're not walking a good straight path. <clears throat> but it's not because you're with. It's not because not with strong drink, but you're staggering because of something else. Because you're <clears throat> you're not walking. You're not following the Lord. So you're blind in your eyes. You're drunk in your mind, and you're staggering in your walk. But you're not you're not following the Lord's word. You're not looking with your eyes or you'd see the Lord's word. You're drunk because your heart is somewhere else. You're drunk on whatever you want to be uh, thinking about. You're drunk in your own heart for what your own heart wants. God again says, you know, I want a relationship with you. I want you to love me. So then down in 14, he says, Therefore, behold, again, I will do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Okay, so all this wisdom from man is going to fail. Ah, you who hide, in verse 15, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? When you're not in God's Word, you think you can do whatever you want to do without His sovereignty over you? 
It's like your deeds are in the dark. You say, who sees us, who knows us? You know, like God's really not a part of it. Verse 16, you turn things upside down. Now he's sort of comparing himself to the potter who's made this clay jar. And the clay jar <clears throat> doesn't even know that it's been made by this potter. It says, verse 16, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as clay that the thing made should say of its maker? He did not make me. Or the thing formed, say, of him who formed it, he has no understanding. He's sort of saying like that would be so ridiculous to um, to say that the potter, that the, that the clay pot that the potter makes comes up and says, did he really make me? He doesn't even understand me. You know, how crazy is that? You know, why turn things upside down? The clay pot should say, I was made by this potter, and the potter understands me because he made me. <clears throat> That's how silly it is when we make excuses not to study God's Word, not to follow God's Word, not to keep our hearts centered on Him, and not to understand that any of our wisdom needs to come from him any of our counsel needs to is understood by him and everything that we think and say and do is because we are made by him he knows us verse 18 in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book now in that day this is the day of the lord because god is saying i will eventually Rescue those who still trust in me. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. Those who continue to trust in the Lord. In His ways, in His work. With hearts on Him. And we'll drop down to verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. So, this is hope. This is hope that eventually God will rescue His people. God will bring His people from captivity. And eventually, the, the nation of Israel that was carried off into, into, into captivity, into Assyria, and then the southern kingdom eventually that gets carried into captivity into Babylonia, into Babylon, <clears throat> Um, they'll eventually be brought back and he'll redeem the nation. But this is even looking more forward um, in that day, in the day of the Lord, when God comes back, when the Lord Jesus comes back to reestablish his kingdom. Even in the future, all of us will be able to say that too. So, um, 
a very forward-looking book here. Now we'll go to chapter 30. Uh, now this is an instant that McGee says the southern kingdom uh, was under pressure because the Assyrians, as they're whacking the northern kingdom, now there's the, now the Assyrians are trying to come down to uh, the southern kingdom and to attack the southern kingdom too. Now the, the southern kingdom did not trust in an allegiance with Egypt like the northern kingdom did. The northern kingdom was pressuring the southern kingdom to trust. Uh, let's Come on, guys, let's get together with Egypt, and then we can form an alliance and defeat these uh, Assyrians invaders. But the southern kingdom, in this particular instance, did not join and start trusting in an allegiance with the Egyptians. They st- they stood their ground and trusted in God. And this is one instance where God delivers them. So, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. This is verse 1 of chapter 30. Who carry out a plan, but not mine. Who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out and go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. To take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, verse 3, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. Okay, so this is the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom sees the Assyrians coming. Okay, they're coming because the northern kingdom is weak, because the northern kingdom hasn't been trusting God. So they turn to an alliance with Egypt. They completely, they don't even trust God to protect them anymore. So the southern kingdom, though, does not. And we will, as... We're just lifting out a few choice verses in chapter 30. Um, And in verse 9, For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, Do not see, and to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophecy, illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, verse 12, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. For thus says the Lord of Israel to the Holy... For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest... Shall you be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Okay, but you were unwilling and you said, No, we flee upon horses. Okay, so God is, you know, the people are basically saying they don't want to hear a bunch of prophecy that they don't want to hear about. 
and they just want to hear some good stuff. Give us some smooth things, things that we want to hear. Some smooth things. Give us some prophecy illusions, you know. But don't tell. I'm, we're, we're tired of the Holy One of Israel. Give us something different, okay? And God says, you're despising my words, and you don't even trust my teachings. And the only way you're going to be saved is in returning. In other words, repenting. That's how you get saved. The Holy One of Israel is talking to the people. And again, it's amazing to me, God's grace in the middle of this disobedience. You know, you see these episodes of His grace. It's only by repentance and then resting. In other words, trusting. Repenting and then trusting. You don't have to do anything. You just repent. That's it. And rest. Not by your works, by His works. Returning and rest. So in other words, the nation needs to repent in their hearts and then trust and rest. Now, they're going to be displaying that in actually being taken away from from Israel in their sin. This is the northern kingdom. But then they're going to return back to Israel as they are led out of captivity later. So they're physically going to be returning, sort of acting out what repentance really is. So they'll be returning one day, and resting, those are the, the remnant of Israel that, that survived this. But in their hearts, that's what we do now today, too. When we repent, that's like returning from being exiled out of the presence of God. Now we are returning in our hearts back to God. That's how you're saved. That's Sort of like the that's like the gospel message right there. Returning and then resting. Returning, repenting, and then trusting. You shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Okay? It's your quietness in the presence of His words. Okay? And in trust. That's your strength. You don't have to be loud to be strong. You just have to trust in quietness. Beautiful, beautiful passage there. <clears throat> and then we drop down to verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Okay? Rest, trust. When you repent and then you rest, that means you re repent and let, uh, it's, it's His work that saves you, not your work. So repent and then just rest, just rest. Rest in what His works are. And when you rest in Him, He is resting in you. Because in verse 18, the Lord is resting. The Lord is waiting to be gracious to you. So he's been waiting on you all this time. The way you get saved is to repent 
and then rest in Him. He has been waiting and resting to be gracious to you. It's a beautiful, <clears throat> it's a beautiful relationship, isn't it? It's a relationship based on resting in one another, trusting in one another. He's waiting to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He is, ex he is ex truly exalted when he shows mercy to you. It doesn't. He's not puffing himself up just to puff himself up. The only time he gets praise to be puffed up is in his mercy. <clears throat> he's not doing this to be conceited. He's doing this because of love. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So how do we show honor to him? Is to wait for him because he's been waiting for you <clears throat> and me. That is so uh, deep. That's really meditation worthy today. I mean, just let that sort of percolate in your in your memories today, in your back of your minds today. Blessed are those who wait for him, because he's been already waiting on you. So uh, we'll drop down to verse twenty nine. You shall have a song as in the night <clears throat> when a holy feast is kept, and gladness of heart as when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mount of the Lord. To the rock of Israel. The mountain of the Lord is referred to the rock of Israel. Wow, what a cool name that is. <clears throat> so in other words, talking to the probably talking to the southern kingdom here because you're going to be have a victory song. Because in 31, the Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod and every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them. Okay, so in other words, um, the Lord's going to protect Jerusalem from the Assyrians in this particular instance. They don't win, which is good for them. Now we'll drop down to chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. This is the northern kingdom now, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Okay, so he's saying, you know, you guys are so messed up. <clears throat> you see the Assyrians come in on the horizon, and you make this treaty with Egypt. Okay, verse 3, the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. You know, the Egyptians are just people. You've got the Lord in heaven on your team, but you want to go down to Egypt and make a treaty with them to protect you? Verse 5, like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect it and deliver it. He will spare it and rescue it. 
Okay, so he's saying, Southern kingdom, going to trust me, and I'll protect you. Verse 8, And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him, <clears throat> and he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. So they will not take the southern kingdom. So, um, but those who go down to Egypt, they're going to lose. The, the northern kingdom will lose. So, um, again, great teachings on God's sovereignty, uh, God's uh, mercy. God wants people to trust in Him. And again, also, um, just sometimes the way our hearts work um, hypocritically. As we were saying, that the, um, it's so easy to get drunk on your own self, blind to, you, to the Word of God because of your own self, your own self-centeredness. And you can stagger, not as a drunkard, but just stagger as a person who's not even an effective Christian anymore or effective believer anymore. God wants you to stay in His Word. And when we don't read His Word, it's like someone who says, I, I can't read, I just can't do anything. <clears throat> God wants our hearts. God doesn't want heartless religion God wants our hearts after Him, and that's what we need to to keep our 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 mind on. Because if we're not there, we're going to be like this northern kingdom, or maybe this southern kingdom. These are struggling kingdoms, and struggling on on what to put their faith in, what to put their trust in, and they've lost the ability to understand that the Lord is waiting on them, waiting to be gracious to them waiting to bring justice to them. And the only way you get saved is to return. Return to the Lord. Return to His teaching. Return to His book. Return to your relationship. Repent of your sins. Return and repent. Turn away. Just as eventually the nation will have to return home after being in captivity. It's in quietness and trust in Him that's your strength. Once you return, it's returning in rest, in trust. It's not just returning like something else to do. It's returning in trust. Beautiful, beautiful teaching today. So I hope this is insightful to you. It sure, certainly was to me. So for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. Keep your heart centered on Christ. And now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you guys are doing great. Take it away, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Take care, and we'll see you next time.